0: And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with Chris Kovac, who'll be sitting in for Matt Watson today. Chris, what's up?
1: Um, interesting times for sure. Uh, keeping busy and happy to be back on Startup Hustle again.
0: Well, thanks for joining me once again for another episode of Startup Hustle. Today's episode is brought to you by Fullscale.io. We can help you build a software development team quickly and affordably. Our guest today, Chris Kovac, is the founder of Riverwatch Beef, which you can find at riverwatchbeef.com. I can imagine that the food delivery business has uh, been a little interesting for you over this last month. Is that true?
1: Yeah, even in the last couple weeks, we went from kind of average sales and we spiked and it's created a bunch of good and bad opportunities, which I really look forward to discussing. Uh, It is kind of minute by minute Um, trying to keep up with everything, trying to keep customers happy, and uh, uh, hit the curveballs in one case, which is UPS shipping. They announced last week that they will not guarantee shipping uh, to national orders, and so that's something that we weren't expecting, and we were on the phone with them trying to figure Mm -hmm. out what the options are, so uh, interesting times again. (laughs)
0: Yeah, sure. So, and you know, for a little background, uh, you know, Riverwatch Beef and what Chris's company does is, you know, mail order organic beef products is that that accurate
1: yeah so we're a family beef producer we've been raising beef for about 13 years and three years ago we started river watch beef to deliver our product direct to the consumer so we're actually vertically integrated and we manage the entire supply chain from live animals all the way through processing and delivery
0: so let's go ahead and you know obviously it's been interesting times that have required uh, adaptation and innovation from a lot of different people. So at what point uh, the calendar did things start getting kind of real for you? And give us a, give us a I think what everyone would like to hear is just kind of how that came down the pipeline and what some of the interesting challenges have been.
1: Sure. Um, we had our best quarter ever in December, and we were really on an uptick in sales. Uh, the sales were strong early this year. And March typically is about average um, as people are getting out into the spring. And so we were kind of expecting normal sales. Uh, On March 11th, we got our first peak. And I think that was right around the time when the stock market went down 1,200 percent or 1,200 percent, 1,200 points, and that people were hearing more about the COVID virus And I think that was some early adopters trying to make sure that they had good food, kind of the preppers, if you will. And uh, our average order that day on March, I guess it was 11th, was about five times. And then we set a daily sales record on March 16th. We set another sales record on the 19th. And we set another sales record on the 21st. We did more volume in four days than we had done in the last two months. So oh, wow. it was starting from, you know, let's say 30 miles an hour and shifting right into maximum speed. Uh, and it came to a point where the orders, when they were coming in and the emails were pinging, um, it was scary. Uh, You would think that we would be excited, but we were worried that it was going to break the system. Would we be able to manage the deliveries? Would we be able to manage all the customer inquiries and things like that? And so much so, we actually shut off all marketing. We hadn't done a lot of marketing this year because we rely on a lot of word of mouth. And we wanted to let people know that we were doing deliveries in Kansas City seven days a week. In other words, Providing um, access to folks with high-quality food is very important to us, and so we we shifted on the fly, started offering seven-day-a-week delivery, did some Facebook posts, and our traffic probably was up ten to twenty times daily volume. So uh, we got off to a fast start, and we've just been trying to uh, do the best we can since
0: then. Do you have enough beef? We do. Uh,
1: We just processed another herd in early January, and we were expecting that to last about six months or so as we were working on the next round of of, uh, the herd that we were going to process. And um, six month worth of inventory will probably sell out here within 45 or 60 days. So also trying to manage that piece of the puzzle, making sure that our monthly club subscribers and our customers uh, are able to get product.
0: So you mentioned something you were concerned that the influx of volume would break the system. I mean, I've been, been down that road before. Um, did, did that occur at any point?
1: Uh, it, it did from a couple different standpoints. So uh, at the open, I talked about UPS. We have the capacity to ship perhaps 20 orders a day, and I think at one point we had 40 orders uh, that were uh, scheduled to ship on a particular day. So we had to triage, um, perhaps an interesting word to use, but we had to, uh, in order of our customers, Um, provide service to the people that ordered first, and then manually email everyone else and say, here's the situation. We could send it out a week from today or within a few days. With national shipping, we can only ship out Monday and Tuesday. And so again, there's only so much we can ship. So that caused a bunch of worry from customers. Our 1-800 number was overwhelmed, people freaking out, uh, wanting to make sure, are they going to get their order? When are they going to get it? Uh, I heard customers say they've ordered from other folks, and they were notified two weeks after the fact, or I guess two days after the fact, um, that their orders weren't going to happen. So that was a big part of the shift. We do everything manually. So it is a time intensive process to follow up and kind of have that personal touch with all the folks. So uh, we were doing about 18 hour days and have been doing 16, 18 hour days. I know you're familiar with that, just trying to, like I said, keep our customers in the know, um, answer questions, and get the orders delivered as fast as we can.
0: Yeah. I think that's always, you know, that's been an interesting challenge. And we've talked to a lot of different people over the last couple of weeks about, you know, how some of the adjustments and the things that they've had to do to to handle, it. I mean, whether it be up or down. Um, and, you know, obviously the, 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 the the whole situation that we're in right now has flexed and strained and broken our supply chain in a lot of different places. And, you know, it's like you mentioned a business like yours, you're, Uh, you know, you talk about 20 orders a day, that might not sound like a lot, but who knows? I mean, because some businesses, 10 orders a day might be a a huge influx, and then the ability to get it out. And I would imagine that, uh, you know, when we had you on the the first time, which that episode was lovingly titled, Where's the Beef?, um apparently the beefs at riverwatchbeef.com if you if you if you need to know but um you know one of the one of the things we were talking about was you know that ability for it to spoil or it can't you know take it can't take 8 days to arrive
1: that's right and we actually had a couple orders that were delayed by UPS before they eliminated their guarantee and our customers have been overwhelmingly understanding and positive i think they get it Um, we've had to refund some orders and we're going to have to wait when things die down and we'll reship those orders out. So that was, um, with the nationwide shipping, we had done a lot of work with optimizing our website to be more visible nationally. And of course, our web traffic around the country skyrocketed and there's different shipping zones. So folks in Ohio, it's a totally different program than trying to ship to California or New York. Um, so we were just transparent and honest and said, here's what we're up against. We're doing the best that we can. Here are your options. And like I said, people have been uh, almost almost without exception, very understanding and very positive. Uh, you know, I mentioned that we're a father-son company and, you know, we don't have staff. And as a matter of fact, my dad had to take a step back because he has some health issues. So <laughs> it's kind of been a one-man band. And the question is, is. We could, I could hire some folks and I've been talking to friends who have been laid off, but it takes time to understand the system. There's a certain way to assemble the packaging. There's a certain way to package the beef because if you don't do it correctly, um, it will spoil. And so trying to figure out, okay, is now the time that we get some help or do we push through this until things settle down? And then we can get some part or full-time helpers to help with the logistics.
0: So, some of those options you know these these are scalability concerns that a lot of a lot of businesses deal with as they grow. um what what have you learned about your own scalability? Because it sounds like there's a there's a, a a few limitations may have prevented presented themselves.
1: yeah, it, the scalability is is interesting because on the one hand, um if we if we extrapolated the totals out, our sales would be very significant and that's what we want right we want incremental growth and we want recurring revenue but then on the other hand we do small batch products so this is an artisan uh, meat and you just can't go out and find cattle so we want to make sure that we uh, hold ourselves to the highest standards from a product standpoint Uh, as well as the delivery standpoint. So we've been trying to, and it's been a a day-by-day basis. One day we're saying, okay, we're going to run out in 30 days. What are we going to do? Like I mentioned, we stopped all the marketing. We have a lot of um, word of mouth referrals that we're getting. And so if, and when we do run out of product, we won't have product until probably another three months from now. Uh, because it takes time to get the animals to wait. And we're different because we dry age 21 days. And so that basically adds another three weeks to the entire supply chain. So uh, that is a to be determined as far as how we scale through the rest of the year. Um, Do we increase production? I mean, do we increase production by multiples expecting that our new customers are going to reorder from us? We think so, but trying to balance out what is our appetite for risk? Um, You know, we don't want to get overextended and then have demand drop off. So Mm -hmm. I think within a, uh, perhaps by the end of April, we'll have some more information and insights there to make that call. So we're going to keep pushing forward and do the best we can, and we'll see what happens.
0: So when it comes to your pricing and your offering in that regard, does does some of this dynamically change that price structure going forward? Is that something you have to discuss and look at?
1: It, it is. Uh, and primarily because we were very aggressive on certain sales and we had a New Year sale and we extended that or held it over through March. And the reason why is our processor turned a lot of quality products, uh, some steaks and whatnot into ground beef. So we had a lot of ground beef and we had a special 20 pounds for 89 dollars in free delivery in Kansas City. Well one that was a loss leader because we had excess inventory and if we could use that to get new customers um, we said hey you know that's great. We also donated to a lot of needy uh, families and organizations because it's important for us to feed folks that may be hungry. And as we started selling out um, of our inventory we eliminated some of the sales, so we weren't trying to gouge people. As a matter of fact, it cost us about $5.15 to produce a, a pound of ground beef, and if we're selling it for $4.50, you know that's not a sustainable model. So when we ended the sales, we put a paragraph that said, we're not trying to gouge people. Uh, a comparable price for this product would be between $9 and $12, and when we're offering it for $5 or under. So that's a that was a big consideration. We have not increased prices. We will not increase prices. You know our goal is to deliver a quality product at an affordable um, price. And so you know if we sell out, we sell out and, it, and at this time, if we can deliver a much higher quality product um, for the same price you would get at the grocery store and and it, it helps people. that's what we want to do.
0: Interesting. So yeah, I think it's uh, you know everyone's seeing all these images and pictures of of toilet paper aisles and and grocery store shelves run dry, um, and you know there's clearly some additional options that are out there. So so a, a question of was the was the the influx in business was that largely return customers reaching out for and looking for other options that. They might have out of the standard realm, or was that new? Was that new business coming in?
1: Uh, it was both, as well as referrals. So we had our customers. We have uh, a lot of our customers buy from us frequently. And so we know all of our customers, at least in the Kansas City area. So they gave us a call and said, we want to stock up. How does this work? We actually had to limit. Some folks wanted to buy 80 or 100 pounds of ground beef. And we said, well, can we start with 40 this week and maybe uh, the week after we can do Excuse me. deliver the rest of your order. We also had an influx of new customers. Um, we're located in the Johnson County area of Kansas City, which is a suburb, and we had people from all over the metro Kansas City area, as well as nationally, from all different walks of life. We had people that were, because of health issues, unable to go outside or didn't want to risk it, so we delivered to them, and that was... Um, It was nice to be able to help people and drop off orders that probably wouldn't have bought from us otherwise.
0: Yeah, I think that's pretty interesting. And you know, so uh, have you actually had times in the history of of Riverwatch beef that you have run out of product like you've sold out and you've just said you say, Hey, we don't have anything to deliver for a couple months. Is that like an actual reality? Uh,
1: That has happened to us twice. And the sales were underwhelming, for lack of a better word. The first time we sold out was probably 18 months ago, and our sales were kind of flatlining, and then all of a sudden we had an uptick in returning customers, folks telling other people, and we ended up selling out of our premium cuts, which is the ribeyes. Uh, it was 10 weeks, I think, between selling out and being able to deliver, and there was a lot of lost opportunities there because some folks don't want to wait. It's it's the Amazon mindset. When you order, it, I want it tomorrow, I want it free, and I want it easy. And you know, we had some folks that stuck by us. So the next time we sold out, it became the same issue, and it was right around the holidays. Uh, It was a matter of fact the holiday before last year and we had all of these orders um, That that we couldn't fill and so Again with the supply chain and we're dealing with live animals And so if I want to process an animal six months from now, I've got to be thinking about that now and To make sure that again the quality is there and that we're able to manage the supply chain so uh, We've been fairly incremental in terms of how we're expanding our supply chain or or expanding our capacity. Um, but it, yeah, it's and it's going to happen again. And so will folks continue to remember us when things settle down. Um, we hope so, but we'll see.
0: So it's, is not running out of product. Is that something that you have to really keep in mind? Cause you know, what I was, the underlying message that I was hearing there was <clears throat> that that equates to a loss of long-term and recurring clients. And part of your model is, is kind of is a subscription model of sorts, isn't it?
1: Yes. And and so yeah, if we run out uh, of folks that have signed up for the monthly program, I mean, are they going to give us another try? And so not only that, we had ramped up our supply chain for this year. So we had a couple major clients. Um, one is a professional sports team here in Kansas City and another one is a uh, international hotel chain. And so they had been purchasing a significant amount of beef jerky as well as um, ground beef. And so we had geared up and made a considerable investment in making sure that we weren't going to run out of product. Well, those two organizations now are on the pause, and I'm not sure if that's even a viable relationship for this year. In other words. I'm not sure if those agreements are going to continue. And so now we're on the other side of the problem. We're running out of the frozen product or or our standard beef cuts. But now we have cases and cases of jerky, and it's got a shelf life. And so that's the next question. What do we do? Do we do aggressive discounts? Um, Do we find new retail partners? Do we use that as a value add? We're not quite sure. (laughs) Uh, And all this happened probably two or three weeks before the COVID really started to disrupt our systems. Um, So again, we'll see how that works out, but it's been difficult to try to keep up and, and you just got to make decisions and, and see how it works out.
0: So when you're in your business where you're literally from like farm to table, Um, you know, if you, if you talk about increasing production, do you have to literally raise more cows to do that?
1: Yeah. So if we, increase,
0: doesn't that that require like years of foresight? Uh,
1: yes, we have our animals staggered. And so we're trying to get ahead. In other words, we've got animals at different maturity and different weights to try to say, okay, if we're going to process, um, over the summer or spring, summer, and fall, what does that look like? So that's part of the equation. The bigger piece of the equation is the USDA processing facility that processes and butchers all of our meats. And so what happened in this supply chain, and it was interesting to see this in real time, is that, one, the live market or the market for live beef prices plummeted to under a dollar per pound. And to put that nice. in context, oh man, it's, it's been a bloodbath and I feel bad for the family producers. The reason why that happened is because the supply chain stopped and family producers are living kind of cow to cow instead of paycheck to paycheck. And so when they get into a cash crunch, the only thing they can do is sell and there's no one to buy their beef. And what's happening is there's big four beef producers, two are U.S.-owned, two are Brazilian-owned, and they are, in effect, price-fixing the market and giving the family producers nothing for their animals. So that is disappointing. But what's also happening is the folks that are trying to get ahead of it have booked our processor out now four and five months in advance. And so we used to be able to get on the processing list two to three months out. And so now they may be at capacity through the end of the year. So let's say if we wanna expand our production by five times, they would not have the capacity to process the animals or to dry age the beef or to even butcher the beef or to store it. And so we're not sure how that's going to work out. But I believe that that is going to trickle down in all food supply chains and probably over this. And this will last throughout 2020 and probably in the 2021. So I think you'll see it. It, Explain
0: explain to me, explain explain to me in an environment where grocery store shelves are empty, how the how future pricing on on something as as standard as beef can plummet. I, I don't understand that. You know, I've been trying to I've been wrapping my arms around a lot of the economics of what's going on, like oil is at an 18 year low. And somehow that's bad for our economy, which I don't really understand because that's the largest expense that some businesses have or one of them.
1: And that's a huge expense for us. And so I was thinking through the same type of question, and that is when oil goes down, the price of gasoline starts to go down within a few weeks. And so we're expecting to see gasoline at under a dollar50 a gallon, and maybe even in the dollar range because barrel last time I saw yesterday was a little over 20 bucks a barrel. So the reason why that doesn't happen in the beef business, is because it's controlled a vast majority of the market by international companies and they don't care. So they actually have huge stockpiles of frozen beef and whenever that there is a glut um, or if they, they would rather, it's almost like diamonds, they would rather hoard the diamonds and wait for the market to work out and still charge a lot of money as opposed to giving price breaks to consumers. And by manipulating those types of price structures, my understanding is they can increase their profit margins up to a hundred percent.
0: So they, I, have- I just don't, I don't understand how the how when demand is up that the price would possibly drop. But who knows, man? I, I, I mean, I, I think you're discussing futures, though, right?
1: Well, yeah, but even now, um, they're not going to drop the prices. And so the, the prices at the grocery store, when things settle down to normal, probably won't change much from the existing prices. And they do that just because they can. And that's part of our model by being vertically integrated, we can um, have more aggressive pricing, better quality for about, you know, much better than you would get at the grocery store. So I'm talking to people in the supply chain trying to figure that out, too. And it's a mystery.
0: Well, you know, I was curious about why toilet paper was was had run out. It's not because it doesn't exist places. It has a lot to do with the fact that you you mentioned having kind of that lost price leader, that's not something that the grocery store makes a lot of money on. So they don't keep a whole lot of it. It takes up a lot of space, it's expensive to ship, and it's and it's not a high margin thing. So when all of a sudden there was this huge spike in demand for it, the supply chain wasn't set up. Like that's one of those, apparently one of those highly predictable things where they can basically have exactly the amount they need at the time they need it, and there's very little change to that supply-demand equilibrium. Now, that all got thrown out the window. So, yeah, that's kind of interesting. So, with your take on stuff, do you think that you guys are seeing a, do you think you're going to have a couple-month surge and then kind of return to normalcy?
1: I think so. I think that April will continue to have surge demand I think that'll probably trickle through to May kind of depending on when we flatten out the COVID curve. And I'm hoping that things will settle down enough that we can replenish our supply chain uh, without having too much disruptions in there. So it's almost like handing off a baton. Hopefully we can get the timing right um, to be able to manage that. But like I said, we turned off marketing. Um, we're, We're being... We're not doing anything content-wise, blogging, anything like that. It's kind of a latency approach. One of the other challenges on our supply chain or our vendors is we can't get some of the supplies that we need. And so when we started doing the volume, um, for us to get the insulated boxes, it was now three or four weeks out uh, instead of a week. And so we, we we were looking at actually running out of boxes <laughs> Uh, we were looking at running out of plastic um, bags that we used to, to, to put the meat in before we put them into the boxes. One of the interesting things for me is we have this French sea salt that's very popular, and we would include that in a lot of our packages, and we had a fair supply, uh, long story short you cannot get French sea salt anywhere. The the supply chain for that particular product is non-existent. And I think that's partially because France was on lockdown and the imports and no one wants to deal with it. You can't even find it at stores. And so that's another, what are we going to do? How are we going to explain that to the customer? How are we going to give them a make good or or some kind of a rebate or something like that? So that was another wrinkle that it's like, oh, wow, uh, you know, this could be a big problem. We're actually going to run out of plastic bags uh, tomorrow, and we're hoping that one of our vendors is going to actually hand deliver them because they're a good partner. So we're, we're, we're managing on a day-to-day basis. And again, I think if we're transparent and let people know, you know, this is the current situation, here's what we think. And we'll let you know in a week, we'll keep you posted on what's going on.
0: Yeah. I think there's a level of understanding. Um, I mean, you know, the the fact that we're all in this together, despite on many days on Facebook, it doesn't seem that way. Um, But, you know, overall, that's one of the things that, that, I I spent some time talking about in my Corona Diaries uh, series that I, you know, when I was grappling with potentially trying to get out of the Philippines and get back to the States. And, and some of the things I was really, you know, I had really uh, dove all the way down the rabbit hole. I was like, how is this is clearly coming and this is happening. I was challenged with uh, finding a bunch of solutions for things that I hadn't had to find solutions for in the past. But as I really got into things, I really realized that the overall supply chain disruption, um, that, that we were likely to not feel the true Disruption for a while later, because you know you you ha- with quote supplies you have some until they run out, and the question is 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 what level of competition? I was already reading that some you know especially stuff that comes out of China, um, you know that that their ripple effect from that is is still onward, and who knows if that's going to clear up? Like you mentioned, just weird shit. Like what was it? French salt.
1: Yeah, this uh fleur de sel, which is a type of French sea salt and gourmet and and expensive and hard to find, but who would have you know,
0: known? Who would have known besides you, right?
1: Right, and and you know, we we had had enough for a few months and then all of a sudden it was gone in a week and then I actually had to at some point last week change all of our products on our website to change out the sea salt for some beef jerky. Um, And so, again, letting customers know who expected that, unfortunately, we ran out and and it's just not available. Um, And so that's going to happen. Additionally, we're running out of certain cuts. And so the challenge for our business is we have steaks, we have hamburger, we have roast, and it's disproportionate. So now we had a guy in New York buy eight pounds of fillets we only get about two and a half pounds of filet mignon per animal. So this person just bought three animals worth of filets. We have other people buying 15 ribeyes. And so one, all of our packages have those types of cuts in them. And so what do we do? Do we change the package? Well, we can't do that because it's going to be confusing the people. And, And so trying to figure out, because it would be a bad situation for us to sell out of all of our premium cuts, and then just have a lot of odds and ends that the people may not be familiar with, or or that's not the cuts that they want. Um, So (laughs) we're trying to figure that out. And we have made some of the individual cuts um, unavailable to buy individually, you can still get them in the package, you can still get them in our monthly club, but you can't, go buy 20 pounds of something that we may only have 50 pounds
0: of interesting well we asked before where's the beef now we know as long as you want to buy it in reasonable quantities so once again with us today we had chris Kovac, the founder of riverwatch beef you can check out their website and order some stuff, buy some beef jerky. Sounds like that's, that's available for you. You can go do that at riverwatchbeef.com. So Chris, as we, uh, as we wrap up here, I mean, what's, what, what is something that you have learned from all of this? How have you grown as a business owner and entrepreneur and how is that going to help you going forward? Take a deep
1: breath would be the first uh, piece of advice I give myself. And in other words, things are changing quickly. A lot of information instead of being reactive and, and just trying to, trying, trying to do your best to say, okay, let's look at the facts. Let's figure out how to manage this and improve our systems. And so some outcomes here have been, um, better management of our supply chain and trying to have contingency. So what happens if we have high demand? What happens if the demand trails off? Uh, I think maintaining our high touch with our customers and being authentic and transparent and having the need to Uh, automate some of these processes. And so as I mentioned, when we have an order, it's a custom email. So I actually email folks, make sure that that they understand what they're getting if they need to customize things. And so that's time consuming. I'm happy to do it. But what are some things we can automate? What are some technology pieces that um, we can utilize to help kind of manage the chaos? And also, The partnerships with our supply chains are so important. We work with a USDA processor, and we're actually not able to enter their plant anymore. They actually have to bring things out to us. And so hopefully we'll see a real disruption when the food manufacturing plants, if they have issues and they have to be furloughed, that will really be a nightmare for everybody. So. You know, I just think we do the best we can, and we're thankful for our customers. We're getting a lot of positive feedback from our new customers, which is great, uh, because we do have a niche product. It's a healthier option. Uh, It's a delicate meat, and so not everyone will like it, but the folks that are buying it, they understand what they're buying, and they Mm -hmm. like it. And I, I think having these updated processes and systems will allow us to onboard people easier. So if we hire people that will help us do deliveries or help us do logistics or build boxes, we'll kind of know where the pitfalls are and we'll have a process that they can contribute to and improve instead of kind of kicking folks into the fire. So uh, half fulfillment and also half let's continue to optimize our existing way that we're doing business to just improve our efficiency.
0: Well, thanks, man. That was, you know, I, I think we've all been forced to learn a lot of interesting things, both about our businesses, ourselves, our employees, our vendors, our clients. Uh, it's been an interesting ride. Well, Chris, thank you for spending some time to uh, share all that. There's, I, I learned as usual, I learned a lot about beef today. Sure. Um, so yeah, I really appreciate what you're doing. And, and, you know, if you guys that are listening, guys and and men and women that are listening I'm trying to correct myself from saying guys all the time um go visit riverwatchbeef.com uh like I said the guy needs to sell some jerky get after it
1: well and Matt we appreciate being back on startup hustle as I mentioned at the start of the uh, uh broadcast and thanks for everything that you're doing and trying to understand how different businesses are dealing with these issues because we're all learning from each other you know, I'm learning from other folks and other startups and they're learning from me. So I uh, thank you for the work that you're doing.
0: Yeah, that's what we're trying, really trying to do with, with things is, you know, I think people are really kind of tired of the COVID-19 discussion, like we get it, it's here, what are we going to do? Um, I, I'm trying to get it, a little deeper into how people are adjusting, solving and what they're learning. And, and I think that that's a, a big thing. Um, you know, we, over the, the couple hundred episodes that have come out prior to crisis, um, you know, we found a lot of recurring themes across them. And I think we'll start finding a lot more as we figure out how people are learning how to pivot and, and, and deal with new reality. All right, Chris. Well, we'll,
1: we'll I, if I could just uh, end yeah, up, sure. this will happen again. And, you know, the, these types of disruptions, if you look back at September 11th, everything changed and right. everything changed with this. And so it, it will happen again. And so as businesses, again, trying to plan for those contingencies and get ahead of it so the next time it happens that we're not caught off guard and that we can, you know, ease the pain for all of us.
0: Yeah. And there's no doubt about that. I mean, I think anything that you're doing to adjust or change your business, like we've taken that on at full scale and just a lot of different things. And you you mentioned, uh, you know, just, I I don't think at any point I was like, we got to hurry up and create that viral contagion protocol. But, and you know, the thing that sucks is when you haven't done that and you have to sit down and do that and you have a couple hundred employees that need to understand how some of that stuff works. It's what you got to do at the time you got to do it. So anything you can do to, to make your plan useful for later, whether it's for the growth of your business, the protection of your business, risk management, all of it, um, you know, use, use the current situation to try to figure out how you can make yourself uh, just a, a better, a better overall business. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to let you go. Cause I think you probably have a lot of deliveries to get together.
1: I actually do. And it was great catching up Matt and uh, appreciate it again.